So look, I, I don't know if you guys have ever done one of these 3D picture things. I'm gonna have, one, have it on the screen here. Hey, let me see if that works. I want you to have a look at that. What can you see? If you look at that carefully, in the prescribed way, you'll be able to see something. Can anyone, anyone see what's there? Now, that there is an image, I'm just going to make sure it does work on the screen. Can anyone see the image? Anyone see it? There's an image there. It's, see, that picture isn't just about the colors, you know, it looks like some form of coral, doesn't it, from the barrier reef. Embedded within that is a three-dimensional picture. And if you can see it by looking beyond the surface, it's amazing, there's amazing detail, and, and the thing comes alive, and it's like you can put your hands through it. It's amazing. Can anyone see it? It is a fish. That's because you're cheating, aren't you? Uh, oh, you can see. Is it working from back there, Mike? It's on, on, on there it is, yeah, yeah. So look, hey, this is a book full of them, and there's all kind of imagery, and they just look like an array of colors, right? But actually, if you look properly, you can see an image like within it, it's amazing how it's done using computer technology. But the point I'm trying to make is this. If you want to borrow the book, you're quite welcome. The Bible can be like that. Is that we can just see the periphery or the, the obvious, just the array of colors. But sometimes we can miss the real image. Sometimes we can miss the real message of the Bible. And particularly over time, and particularly with familiar passages, they, they, you know, that we, we know them so well that we know them before we read them. I mean, Tiffany, our daughter, I've noticed now that she's getting better at reading, she's looking at a word and she's guessing it even without properly considering what it is, and often getting the and ands and different words just mixed up because she's assuming she knows the next word. And we can do that with the text of Scripture. We assume we know, and there's nothing like the prodigal son for us all to assume, oh, we know what this is about. Oh, this is about that boy, and it's about the lost coming back to Jesus. In fact, that's how, how I've read it for many, many years. That's how some commentators have even suggested. Do you know, some people have even suggested that those last verses about the big brother shouldn't be there. It, like, it kind of offsets the story. It's like a dampener, isn't it, on this wonderful return of this boy and the celebration of the father. And then there's this weird bit at the end about the big brother being grumpy. And, and, and we attempted to, and I used to as a young preacher. Well, I still am a young preacher. Okay? <laughs> right? Uh, as a young preacher, uh, you know, just ignore that and just focus on the early bit. But I want us to look at the fresh friends and try and look beyond the, just the obvious and see the real 3D imagery, the real picture that Jesus wanted to paint when he told us this story. Here's what Tim Keller, a pastor and theologian, says. This, is, this will tell you what the real picture is. The original listeners, when they heard the story, were not melted into tears by this story but rather they were thunderstruck, offended, infuriated. Now can you see how it's been possible that we're misreading the prodigal son? The original readers weren't moved and stirred about how wonderful this guy returning is. Rather, they, would have, they were thunderstruck, offended, 
and infuriated. So, who's, what's this parable about? Well, let me ask this question first. Who's he addressing? You see, in order to work out really what's going on, who is he addressing? Who is Jesus speaking to? Let me show you. Have a guess. I mean, who is Jesus speaking to? He is speaking to the Pharisees. Let me show you. These, these are the verses that uh, Jeff left out. Well, it wasn't Jeff's fault. I asked him to leave them out. We missed out the crucial verses. And whenever you read scripture, we can't just read it piecemeal. You have to read the setting, find out how the story began, find out what the context of that story is. And the context of the prodigal son is verse 1 and 2 and 3. Could we have that, please? Thank you. Listen to this. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around him, uh, to him, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And then what does Jesus do in verse 3 as a direct consequence of their muttering? What's verse 3 doing to the previous verses? It's connecting them. In fact, then is a conjunctive. It connects three Two, two. I think I've got a Greek word. The Greek word there is de. Okay? Okay? Delta, epsilon. And what it does, it connects three to one and two. So therefore, the reason Jesus, whatever Jesus now says beyond three is related to verse one and two. And once, once our eyes readjust, you then read the next three parables in a completely different light. So the first parable you have is a lost son, followed by the lost coin. And the key feature in both of those, what is the response? Does anyone know? What is the response when the lost uh, sheep is found? What is the response when the lost coin is found? It's jubilation, celebration. Okay? And then the third one now, the parable of the prodigal son, which really elaborates the whole thing because we, we're not just jubilation now the whole thing's unpacked verse 11 jesus continued so the prodigal son is the last of the trilogy of the three parables that ex explains or or develops verses one and two and then when you read it like that all of a sudden you're kicking yourself really who's who's this really about what is jesus's real message who's he really speaking to what is, what is the real image here? He's speaking to the Pharisees and tax collectors. And therefore, in the story, who is the Pharisee and tax collector? Is he the son, the younger one? Is he the father, or is he the older son? Is the older son. Can you see? The whole of the parable is focused on this older son. The Pharisee, the tax collector. And we're going to look at that together. Let's, so last time, well, the first time we had God heartily welcomes back his lost son. The second time we had Jesus reveals God's incompre incomprehensibly loving heart. That, that really is the apex of the story. That really is, is the summit, if you like. It's God's generous heart to those who return to him. It's incredible. We looked at it last week. You can listen to it online. If you want, now today, the third and really the crucial aspect here, God heartily, and listen to this, God heartily, will have the please, welcomes in his lost son. Did you hear that? That's not a typo, unless Ali made a mistake. No, that's the text I gave her. 
That is not a typo. Okay? God heartily invites in his lost son. That'll tell you where we're going this morning. Let's work through the verses, okay? Verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. It wasn't my house. There may be music in my house, but not dancing. Not for me, anyway. The kids may. And Naomi. So he's hearing music and dancing. So he called out of one of his servants and asked him what was going on. The brother has come, he replied. Uh, your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed a fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. And so, obviously, the big brother has missed all the celebration. He's out there doing what? Doing the work. Okay? Like he's supposed to. Right, he's doing the work like he has been for years. He hears... Music and dancing, looking at this, this wasn't the age of MP3 and iPods, okay? The fact that music and dancing meant you had professional musicians and dancers who you invited on special occasions. It'd be like at a funeral in those days. You invited, it sounds bizarre to us, but it's true. You invited professional mourners who professionally wailed and wept. I mean, it's just bizarre, doesn't it? Well, in celebration, you hired professional dancers, musicians, to, to give the, 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 the mood a lift. And, and so, so it's obvious this is a special occasion. Something's going on, something out of the ordinary. The news of his brother's return comes to the servant. And you can imagine, I mean, he never expected to see him again, did he? He never expected to see him again. Here he is. His brother is back. And he knows full well what he's been doing. He tells his dad what he's been doing. I mean, his dad, and I'm sure his dad didn't need to be given the details, but he gives him the details. Listen to this. When this son of yours who has squandered your property with, and this is you know, a real denigrating thing to say. It is in today's world, I'm sure. Certainly then, with prostitutes. And now you've killed a cow for him. You can imagine, can't you? That the little brother beat him to it? Are you going to see that now? I think there's probably an element of jealousy here. You know, look, you know, I'm working away, but he's been sleeping with the prostitutes. You know, something I'm sure it seems here at least that he would have rather been doing himself. Notice the way he refers to his brother. How does he refer to him? Verse 30. Son of yours. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Parents do it sometimes, don't they? You know, yeah. this son of yours. Look at the mess he's got us into again. And, and look, it's, and this is what's going to, he's alienated, isn't he? He's completely disowned his brother. Okay? He has no interest in him. And can you see what, if, if, if the big brother is the Pharisee and the tax collector, can you see what Jesus is saying? that the Pharisees and the tax collectors have done towards people who were bad but are coming to God? They've, yeah, they're despising and alienating them. They've completely disowned their fellow countrymen on the basis, like this fella, that they're the good ones at home working. And these, they, these people are coming to Jesus as the bad ones who've been with prostitutes and everything else. The fattened calf... You've got, you got to imagine, friends, that hurt. Not the calf, obviously. 
That's not a nice thing. I've seen that being done. It's not a nice thing. It hurt him. What do I say? The fattened calf hurt him, the big brother. Pardon? Yes, the occasion, the fact he's doing it hurts him, but I'm thinking something more. How is this hurting him? Yeah, he never had it given to him, so that's, that's hurting him. There's something more. I'll tell you, I'll tell you. It's hurting him because... There's that. Whose fattened calf is it? It's his. This is the point. That is his. His father says everything I've got is yours. Okay? The point here is, so this big brother has already stolen or taken, okay, it did belong to him. He's taken his one-third, which meant that the two-thirds, including the fattened cow, belong to him. And here is his father giving away his property to this rebel who's returned. Okay? You can see how painful this is. It, it, it reminds him too, not the painful animal, who's controlling his assets? Who's controlling his assets? The father. Can you see? It's a reminder, isn't it? Of who's, who's still in charge of the property. And so the younger brother is here, is eating and we said last week it's quite possible that he would, he would get another one-third of the two-thirds that remained. In other words, this guy's going to be robbed big time. But he, is, he hasn't been back five minutes and he's already eating into the big brother's inheritance. I mean, that was a special cow. Seriously. And this was the one occasion. You know, maybe it was for his wedding. You know, this would have been his, set, marked aside for a special occasion. And here is he also, the older brother, verse 28 became angry and refused to go in. He refuses to celebrate with his brother. He's, in fact, he stands completely opposed to him. So his thing, who's he angry with? Two, two people. He's angry with his brother. Yeah? And I want to say, his brother. He's angry with his brother because he's taken his share. And now, see, the, the, biggest, the biggest issue for him with him coming back, I think this is where the, the story turns and what happens to the inheritance you see, why does it bother him so much that he's back? But the fact that he's going to steal more of his possession. Okay? So he's angry with this guy that he's back after wasting all this money. After no, no doubt, after doing all the things that he craved to do, but never got around to doing. And he's back. Okay? And so, hence the way he speaks to him. So, so he's upset with the brother, but he's also upset with... The father, I think that's what his real anger is. The real anger. Listen to how he talks to him. And you have to remember, look, look, kids, hard work, aren't they? Uh, and they can be rude. And they don't understand respect. Don't understand how to speak to mom and dad. In that culture, you knew how you addressed dad. So, so listen to the tone. Listen to the tone of this guy. Okay, he answered his father, look, all these years I have been slaving for you and I've never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me, even a young goat, a kid, so I could celebrate with my friends. Let me ask you, what's behind his remaining at home and his service? What's behind it? Because he remained and he's serving, what's behind it? It's him, himself. 
Can you see? His service is all about himself. Why is he serving? What does he expect? All these years he slaved away, and so he's expecting some reward. Can you see his point? This service that he's doing towards his father is not an act of love of a son towards his father. It's an act of a worker towards a taskmaster. Can you see? This is, this is commerce for him. This is purely a business arrangement for which he hasn't been paid. And that's the point. Here's what Keller writes. The hearts of the two brothers were the same. Both sons resented their father's authority and sought ways of getting out from under it. They each wanted to get into a position in which they could tell the father what to do. Each, in other words, rebelled. One did so by being very bad and the other by being extremely good. You can alienate yourself from Jesus in two ways, diametrically opposed ways, by being very bad and by being very good. Both were alienated from the Father's heart. Both were lost. Can you see that? Can you see that though he remained at home, it's why my title is that he's got to come in. Can you see that though he remained at home, he too is the lost son. He too is alienated from his father. He too is in a distant land. The thing is, you see, you don't have to be in a distant land by just going there. Okay? Look, we live here. Okay, but sometimes our minds, particularly Naomi's, is where? In a distant land. So you don't have to be geographically somewhere to be there. This guy may not be with the prostitutes living it up. But he's there in his heart. He's there in his thinking. So the warning of Jesus is pretty clear, friends. Doing things for God, so the Father relates to God, doing things for God isn't necessarily the same as being in a loving relationship with God. That's the message. Do you see that? Merely doing things for God, giving, Coming to church, serving, merely doing things for God isn't the same necessarily as being in a loving relationship with Him. That's challenging, isn't it? Here's what a commentator writes. The text also warns us, though the old, through the older brother, that activity for God by itself or proximity to Him is not the same as knowing him through a relationship grounded in a conscious, humble turning to him. Can you see there's a difference? I can be flat out for Jesus and be totally alienated from him. It's possible to be this close to Jesus and yet need saving. Seriously. Many a preacher, Wesley, I think, one of them, who said he used to preach the gospel before he was converted. And was converted one day through one of his own sermons. 
So Jesus is addressing, we said it's in Luke 15, the Pharisees, the tax collectors. He's addressing those who, because of their external, visible allegiance to God, assume their relationship to God is okay. That's who he's addressing. Can you see? He's addressing those who think because of their external, visible piety, that their walks with God are right, when in fact they may be utterly lost in a distant country and need converting. And so, what did he do to the Pharisees when they heard this? What kind of response? And this is a danger, you see. What kind of response do you think it generated in the Pharisees, we said it earlier, listen to this. The original listeners, they were melted by the wonder of this story. Rather, they were thunderstruck, offended, infuriated. You can see that, can't you? There's, there's, there's absolute okay, indignation towards Jesus. For, see, for all their piety, Jesus was saying to them, and you have to realize how pious they were, the Pharisaical movement started after the return of the exiles. Why were people sent into exile? Why were the Jews sent into exile? Because of their unfaithfulness to God. So the Pharisaical movement set up soon afterwards. Their purpose was to stop any further exile. How were they going to stop any further exile? They were going to set up a standard for holiness. They themselves became the standard for holiness. They saw themselves as the bar, the plumb line of authentic spiritual piety. And here's Jesus treating tax collectors and sinners with more regard. Can you see? Than them. Okay? You can imagine the, the response it was generated within them. Here's Here's what a commentator writes. In his original setting, the parable clearly has the Pharisees in view in the older brother. They stand close to God, at least in an apparent way, and appear to have an inside track to his blessing. Everything God has in terms of promise is available to them, for everything I have is yours in the story, yet they are really on the outside. They have never chose to embrace it, the truth, by acknowledging God's goodness in terms of the forgiveness Jesus offers to all. We can know all that truth and yet remain outside. Look, I trust, look, as we're hearing this, and it is a challenge, it's a challenge to me, you know, where my heart is, you know, where I really stand in God, I trust that we won't be provoked to anger. Hey, this isn't, this isn't a time to be responding in, you know, in negativity and emotion about someone suggesting, hey, I give a tithe of my income to this church every week. I serve all through the week. Okay, I'm keeping you in employment, mate. How dare you say that I could be lost? You see, that's, that, that was their response to Jesus, you see. Who does this man think he is? That's why they crucified him. That's why they crucified him. And so it's a challenge, isn't it? You know, look, friends, hey, take the pill. 
take it. It's given in love. 2 Corinthians 13, 5, this is what Jesus, Jesus says through Paul. Examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith. It's a good thing. Look, women have their tests, don't they? They have to regularly do their tests on their anatomy. Blogs are meant to do them too. We, we hardly ever do it, do we? The reason you do those tests is because if you apprehend it early enough, they may be able to do something about it before it's too late. Paul says, hey, examine yourself. The point is, it's an ongoing, regular, daily, weekly experience. Examine yourself to see if you really are in the faith. You may look like you're in the faith. You may sound like you're in the faith. Okay, you may smell like you're in the faith. Gucci or Armani, I don't know, which one is the faith? Uh, okay, but examine yourself to see if you are really in the faith. Test yourself. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you unless, of course, you fail the test? I remember when I was first converted, when I was 16, a couple of years ago, a couple of decades ago, actually, Three decades ago, actually. Goodness sake. I can't believe it. Time flies, doesn't it, Morag? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, when I'm dead and buried, you know, yeah. So I was 16. I just got converted. And uh, there's this guy in my church. And you should have seen him worship Jesus in song. Yeah, he's got his eyes closed and his arms are in the air and he's tapping his foot and he's doing a little... Christian jig, you know, the Christian one. And, and I used to look at him and think, wow, you know, look how well, what a spiritual guy, look how well he's doing. And then one day, I remember, after, when we were going to small groups afterwards, he, was, he asked for prayer because he said, wait for this, he's struggling in his faith. I'm like, what? Seriously? <laughs> really? He says, he's struggling, he's tempted to backslide. I was shocked. Two weeks later, we never saw him again. Seriously. As far as I know. Walked away, never returned. Look, folks, it's not a bad thing to take stock, to search our hearts, to be sure that our visible external piety is genuine, that we really do love God, that it's not mere cold service, that we're here this morning, not, not just merely making up numbers, because otherwise you get a text message next week saying, we missed you, <laughs> okay? <coughs> but it's because I really want to be here. <coughs> I love the people in this church. I want to see them. I want to speak to them. I love singing those songs. Not merely listening to them, but singing them. I love to hear the Bible read in a quintessential English accent. <laughs> or, or a Brummy English accent, whichever, whoever is reading on the day. Okay? I love to hear the Bible preached. What is it that brings me here? What is it? Look, here's what Jesus would say, and this is what he says to the, to the Pharisees, okay? He says, so the older brother became angry, his father went out to him, and he pleaded with him, my son, the father said. 
Let me ask you. So the younger boy who'd gone away physically, when he returned, he deserved what? What did he deserve? He deserved wrath. What did he get? The G word. He got grace. The older son is also lost. He's also gone away to a distant country, wasting his heart and mind with prostitutes. Okay? Now, what, he, what does he deserve? Look at the way he's talking to his father in that culture. What does he deserve? Wrath. The very fact that he wouldn't come into the party, what do you think this was doing to his father's reputation? It's humiliating. What did he deserve? Wrath. What does he get? Grace. Look how his father talks to him. Okay? My son. This was his time to do the, the reverse on him. You son of a whatever. Okay? No, no. It's rather my son. Now this how, although there's rebuke, it's done gently, lovingly. He's pleading with him. Notice how he speaks to him. This son's return to his father has to entail a change of his heart. He can't really be in, in a loving relationship with his father if his heart looks completely different to the heart of his father. You see, you're only in with God. That's Jesus' point. We're only in relationship with the father if our hearts reflect the father's heart. If we remain the same, we're not in relationship, you see. There's something about being in relationship with the father through Jesus that it reprograms our DNA. So whatever our hearts may have been, as poor and as wicked as they may one time been, what conversion does, it reprograms them. And there's only one program that runs through every Christian heart. It's the program of God's own heart. And every, this, is, this is reality. Whatever your personality, whatever my personality, every Christian ought to have an identical, an identical heart. A heart like Jesus's. And so look, so Eddie is talking to him, is one of the Pharisees reflecting that, this boy, one of the teachers of the Lord, that's what he's reflecting. And notice how he speaks to him with grace. Let me just, let me just emphasize that. The father should have been strong with the boy, but he speaks to him, the older boy, in grace. I think it tells us this. When we're dealing with those who are less than what they should be in Jesus, or when we're dealing with complete and terrible people who have yet to come to faith with all their sins, also with the prostitutes or whatever. It's not about preaching fire, hellfire and brimstone. It's about preaching in a way that's winsome, that draws people to a God who loves and cares for them. It's not just about beating them on the head with, with a heavy stick. In fact, a preacher said, and I think a guy right, whenever we preach on hell, and we ought to preach on hell because it's in the Bible, Jesus spoke about it very often. It's not to beat people, it's to be done in love. In fact, this preacher says, whenever we speak on hell, it should be with tears. It should be in agony, in pain, with a heart that's broken, that understands where people really are and what's gone wrong in their lives. And but for the grace of God, go on I. It's realizing that some of the things those people are doing out there, look, that terrible. I'm not like that. Do you know what? 
If you didn't know this, I'm going to tell you now. I'm just like this. Seriously. If you knew my heart, I could see my thoughts. I am just like them. But for the grace of God. And so we're called, friends, to extend that grace to all those that we encounter. In John 13, Jesus says, Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this all men will know that you are my disciples. As God sends people our way, as they walk through our door, it's our loving welcome of them. <coughs> Whoever they are and whatever they've done, however bad they are, however much they don't deserve it, that love that we demonstrate for them may be the very thing that wins them or keeps them in the faith unto Jesus. So look, we, we want the church to grow, don't we? We hope the banners are up to try and draw more people to the church. You know, we do a service in a way, in a way that draws more people. But you know, in that, God may send here murderers, pedophiles, adulterers, rapists, bad neighbors, people we've got a feud with, people who've hurt us, people we don't like, people who just wind us up. And our response to them, our heart to them, regardless of the hurt, may reveal more about us than them. May reveal what's really wrong in my own heart. What distant place that I've been living in more than the distant place they've been in. If you've been challenged this morning, I, I've been challenged, both in preparing and lit preaching now. Let me say this. Don't duck. I sent to someone recently. Don't ever be dishonest with God. <laughs> do you know, it's the most stupid thing to do, to be dishonest with God. To pretend you're not thinking what you're thinking. Do you know, he knew what you were, thi what you were thinking right now. Yeah. Do you know when he knew? Someone, you know when he knew? A million years ago. A million billion years from this moment, he knew exactly what you'd be thinking right now just don't be stupid when you talk to Jesus just tell him the truth tell him how you feel tell him how you're failing pour your, God. Look, pour your heart out to him Psalm 130 says if you O Lord kept a record of sins O Lord who could stand do you know because of this your sin never goes into an account. Never. Never. He doesn't remember it. He doesn't see it. He isn't affected by it. It's covered. He's not marking your sin. So look, whatever you've been in your heart towards them or whoever, let me encourage you. Just tell him, Lord, I'm sorry. Do you know, there have been times when I've encountered people people have come to faith or have been in church that I just didn't think, feel that I could relate to well, that I could love and welcome. And whether overtly I've gone over and shouted to them or whether, whether covertly I give them the cold shoulder or whatever it may be, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I've been like that, God. 
Look, no one's beating you up. I'm not beating you up. Jesus isn't beating us up. But the journey back to God begins with acknowledging where we are, seeking forgiveness, and then embracing those around us. I mean, just look at me. Have you ever considered how hard it is for me? 10,000 miles from home, preaching to a group of people I can't stand? <laughs> seriously? Horses? Who would live with them? I mean, seriously? I mean, look, we all have areas or people or scenarios that we struggle with. Let's pray for grace. Let's make sure. And here's the thing. The Pharisees, you see, what revealed where they really were in their faith journey, which is it seems they were quite far from God, perhaps entirely away from God, what revealed it was their heart towards those who were receiving God's grace. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is this, is that sometimes we escape the radar, don't we? Yeah, sometimes it's not MH370 that would disappear you know, over the Indian Ocean. The reason it disappeared because it escaped radar. You see, sometimes we can escape radar. But then something will reveal or expose where things are. And for the Pharisees, it was their response to these sinners coming to faith that exposed where they really stood in their faith. I wonder what exposes where we stand. It may well be some new people who irritate us. And if, if, that, if that has exposed you... Hey, seek mercy. But it could be anything. It could be, who knows what it may be, but it could be a sermon, it could be a text, it could be something somebody has said. Whatever it is that exposes our shortfalling, don't ever respond in defensiveness. He doesn't hold your sin against you, Christian. Reveal it to him. Spit it out. Confess it to him. Change. And change your heart. Welcome that guy that you don't like. Go and shake it next week when you see him. Give him a hug. Slip him 200 bucks and say, no, go and have a meal. That's me. You don't like me, okay? Okay? <laughs> right? You know, whatever it may be, deal with it. And remember that this message and God's message to you is coming over. The reason Jesus used that terminology, my son, when he spoke to the older brother and he's now talking to the Pharisees, is because as evil as they were, Jesus was wanting to Put his arms around the Pharisees. I think that's the point. And say, look, yeah, he said, look, guys, hey, guys, I want you back. You're as bad as these. I'm showing you mercy. Would you show these mercy? So God's word to you, to me, is this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. He loves you. And as a response to that love, is that we also must love one another and everyone Jesus sends to us. And perhaps, look, we want to grow. Perhaps Jesus is holding back until our hearts are ready <coughs> to love the unlovable when he sends them our way. Perhaps. Perhaps he's waiting for our hearts to be ready to embrace those that we're at odds with before he sends them to us. God heartily invites home his lost son. Hey, if you're in the distant land, come home. Let's go home.